You're listening to a sermon from Lakeview Baptist Church. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at 6 o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. I'm totally Batman. (laughs) Not even close. Well, good morning. I am humbled and grateful and uh, fearful to be here. Uh, But the Lord gives grace and words to speak in our time of need. So if you would take your Bible and find Psalm 88. I recognize the great privilege it is to preach here at Lakeview. So I just want to say thank you to Pastor Brian, to the elders, to you. My status here as one of the pastors on staff is due to your constant encouragement and prayers and support. As we begin a new year, Pastor Brian is taking us through the kingdom prayer of Luke chapter 11. Today, however, we will diverge from that road to one of the darkest places in all of Scripture. And no, it's not because I'm upset with anyone. Uh, I don't have an axe to grind. And I don't think that we all just need to wallow in some despair together. But we need to be reminded, starting with me here, that this psalm is a gift from God to his people, revealing his glory in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is for our good. The fact is, all of us are surrounded by and filled with brokenness. All of us have an enemy who desires more strongly than anything we have ever felt to destroy us. And all of us have or will face seasons of life as believers where the heartache and sorrows of our sin, of our circumstances, or the seeming silence of God brings us to the brink of utter hopelessness. These things are not anomalies in the Christian life. They are the way. In our psalm this morning, Heman, one of the sons of Korah, a prophet of God and leader of worship in the temple, pens these words seemingly near death. And what we'll find is that his suffering is, I think, intentionally ambiguous. That's good for us, who all come to this psalm carrying peculiar burdens. So I want us to stand, if you don't mind, and We will read Psalm 88 together, and I will finish the reading of this psalm by saying, this is the word of the Lord, and I would like for you to respond by saying, thanks be to God, because at the outset of this morning, we need to agree these are God's words to us. This is Holy Scripture. What we're about to read is the word of God, and it is profitable for us right now at this moment. So join with me in verse 1. Oh, Lord. God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles. And my life draws near to Sheol. I'm I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, 
like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon or your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever prayed like that before? Does the thought of talking to God this way make you uncomfortable? Are you well acquainted with the laments of Heman in your own life? Wherever you are, I believe the Lord has something for us through his word. So let's pray and see what God is up to here in Psalm 88. God in heaven, you are good. All of your ways are good. The only thing that we have received from your hand are gifts and blessing and grace. You do not deal with us according to our iniquities and sins. You have seen fit by your grace to take all that is what we deserve upon your Son so that all that might be left for us is your loving kindness. And Lord, in the midst of our sorrows and sufferings, when we fail to see clearly, when we fail to see what you'd see, God help us. God help us to know what is true through tears and pain and despair. Help us to cling to what we know. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 88, Heman continually cries out to the God of our salvation. Psalms of lament, as you read them in Scripture, commonly have a turn to hope. So when the psalmist is crying out to the Lord with some kind of circumstance or some kind of suffering or some kind of pain, there's, 
there's usually a turn of hope, a turn of commitment, of confidence to know what is true about God and his ways. Consider Psalm 3 after David is fleeing from Absalom and recounts the rising of his foes. He proclaims, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. That's the normal pattern of the Psalter. Psalms of lament with these turns of confidence, these turns of hope. Psalm 88 contains no such turn. And we could spend a long time diving into the depths of this psalm and Heman's lot, but for right now, I'd like for us to see the faith that is not explicit, but is instead underneath Heman's cries. Notice in verse 1 that Heman prays to the Lord the God of my salvation. So his posture before God is this recognition, you are the Lord. You are the God of my salvation. He doesn't say you are the God of my calamity. You are the God of my judgment. You are the God of my sorrows and my suffering. Although he will say, you are the one doing this to me. Oh Lord, you are the God of my salvation. Day and night, he cries out to the Lord and apparently the Lord is silent. And yet, Heman does not count this silence as evidence of God's inability to save or heal or hear or help. Heman refuses in this psalm to allow the circumstances of his suffering to define the character of God. Instead, the character of God is the lens through which he attempts to understand his suffering. And this is key because you and I are hardwired in our sinful condition to do our theology from below. We start here and move our way up. For example, we experience hardship or suffering or the agony of unfulfilled desires or dreams, and we're tempted to use that as evidence of God's stance towards us. He withholds from me, so he must not want to bless me. He sends me to the valley of the shadow of death, so I must have done something wrong. Even worse, we're tempted to question God's very character. We look around at our life, we look around at our family, we look around at our work or our culture, and we say, all creation around me is fallen and broken and stained, so God must not care, or he's aloof, or he's not strong enough. Heman asks hard questions of God in this psalm. He employs great petitions towards God, but what is not in doubt in Psalm 88 is the character of God. In fact, Heman is convinced that all that has come to pass in his life, all his trial and tribulation, is by God's providential hand. Look at verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit. Verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. Verse eight, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. These are God's words. So, so we remember that the Psalms, like the rest of Scripture, contain God's inspired word for us. 
And in, in many genres of scripture, we have to wrestle with, are what we seeing in the text, is it descriptive? Is it just telling us a story? Or is it prescriptive? Is it telling us how we ought to live? So when it says, for example, that Solomon has hundreds of wives and concubines, that's not the Bible saying, time to go find some more spouses, right? Like that's just describing to us what's taking place in reality. The Psalms are the prayer book of the saints. These are prescriptive. This is for us to speak. This is for us to use. This is for us to feel. Not in a way that we impugn God's character, but in a way that we model honesty. God has made Heman a horror. You may have a little footnote in your Bible that that word literally is an abomination. In other words, Heman is crying out to God and saying, you have made me like sin. But Heman is not confused here. He's not wondering where this comes from. He knows that the sovereign God has ordained these thorns to take up residence in his side. And the result is a realization that Heman is close to death. His sorrows have made his eyes dim. It leads him to ask penetrating questions, starting in verse 10. As one who strives for faithfulness to God, whose life as a prophet and worship leader in the temple of God orbit around God's praise, God's honor, God's glory, he asks, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Because I praise you. My whole life is, is given to service of worship. My whole life is oriented around bringing God's people into the temple. Just as we read in Psalm 42, this is Heman's life. The dead don't do these things. I do these things. In other words, Heman is bewildered by the fact that the God who has given him a heart that beats for his praise is the same God who may very soon cause it to still and stop. Heman visualizes these sorrows and pains with the language of water. So looking back at verse six, he's placed in the dark and deep depths of the pit where the waves of God's wrath overwhelm him. In verse 16, his wrath sweeps over him. In verse 17, God's assaults surround him like a flood. And in those days, the sea represented the darkness and the chaos of a fallen world. It was fathomless, bottomless, untamable. And here, Heman confesses that he feels tossed about in the breakers of God's chastisement. So the image is he is abandoned in the ocean, drowning. That's the picture. And then you have his friends. His friends. As Heman feels like death has overtaken him, those who are closest around him shun him. They view him as an abomination as someone 
who apparently deserves whatever has befallen him. Heman ends this psalm of heart-wrenching lament in the dark, in pain, unable to see God or his ways, and alone. My companions have become darkness. If there is light at the end of this tunnel, Heman has not found it. Have you ever felt like this? Like God has cast your soul away? Like he's hidden his face from you? Have you been stunned by the wounds that have afflicted you? Sometimes from those who are closest to you? Maybe it's a physical illness or a chronic hardship. Perhaps it's the burden of caring for those who cannot care for themselves. Maybe it's anxiety and depression, dark clouds that never seem to lift. Maybe it's the longing for a spouse or a child or simply the pain of wishing away those unmet desires only to find them once again come back. It could be the sting of the death of a loved one that has maybe changed over time but has not left. Perhaps it's the recognition of your own sinful soul and your seeming inability to just ever stand victorious over temptation. Maybe it's financial woes that leave you in a constant state of worry for how things will pan out. Maybe it's the scars that you carry in your soul because you've been mistreated or abused or oppressed. Your hardship may be the anguish you feel over the waywardness of those closest to you. Maybe it's a child or a parent or a sibling or a dear friend whose life seems set on storing up nothing but God's wrath for the day of judgment. Church, not every prayer in Scripture has a recognizable answer. We are not promised clarity in this life. We are instead riddled and bewildered by suffering and brokenness. And if we really believe that this is the word of God, then this psalm is for us right now. Because it gives us words to speak when we don't know what to say. It gives us words to say alongside Heman for the times when we feel like all is lost. So if Heman continually cries out to the God of our salvation in Psalm 88, then now we can be radically honest before the God of our salvation. I have been spared from much of the opportunities life gives us to indulge in wickedness. Growing up, I was basically a moral kid. I struggled with sins not uncommon to man, but I regularly did the right thing, said the right words, stayed in the right places. I was in the stereotypical definition that the world has to offer a good person. Last semester, the youth ministry studied through a book on prayer. And one of the main themes of the book was paradigm shifting for me. As somebody who 
has identified himself since he can remember as being a good person. That prayer is not a place to go to be good. It is a place to go to be honest. And one of my problems that I have to mortify and put to death is the belief that I must be good before God in order to maintain my standing before him. I think that if I'm tossed about with problems, then I just need to confess known sin, double down on my conviction of God's good providence and meticulous sovereignty and move on with my life. I was made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if the new creation is a place free from sorrow, free from struggle, free from hardship, free from doubt, then there's no place for that in the heart and mind of a good Christian. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because there aren't any good Christians. My righteousness, your righteousness, is not your own. It was given. And if I don't remember this moment by moment, I'll believe that I have to perform in order to maintain my standing before the God of heaven and earth. And I don't think I'm alone. Brothers and sisters, prayer, especially lament over our sorrows and our sufferings and our sins is an opportunity for us to be confronted with the fact that we often live in a fantasy world. We don't live in reality. Prayer is a place to go to be honest about where we actually are. And if Psalm 88 is true, then we can do this without any hint of a threat that our honesty will somehow create a chasm that God can't ever cross. Think about what prayer is. Prayer is communing with the triune God. It is speaking before the throne of grace to the Father who has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ, his Son, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, we are communicating with the one who sees all who knows all, who is love, and who has made a covenant with us in Christ to be our God now and forever. If you and I are united to Christ by faith, then the idea that we might bring something before him that would now separate us from God is as absurd as if we were to say that the son can be separated from his father. Hold your place in Psalm 88 and find with me Romans chapter 8. I want us to quickly just see a few things that may help us recognize the value of prayers like Psalm 88 for our own soul. That if this is God's word for us to speak and to use, then there should never be a reason for us to feel unsafe about going to God with where we really are. You should be in Romans chapter eight. Look at verse 26. It says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, whenever you pray, you have biblical warrant that the Spirit has already been praying. And when you pray, you are joining in with a partner in the Godhead. Now look down at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Brothers and sisters, when you pray, you can be confident that you have biblical warrant that the Son has already been praying. And when you pray, you have good prayer partners. Now, if Romans 8 is true, the Son and the Spirit intercede for you, and the God of Scripture speaks nothing but the truth. So you can have confidence that your honesty before God is not going to repel him because he's already speaking it. In fact, our attempts to clean ourselves up and be good before God in prayer is what invites dissonance in that communion. God has already seen everything he's about to hear. So we can approach his throne of grace like Heman, broken, miserable, blinded by sorrow, and on the cusp of what feels like death, but confident. We can expose our hearts before God because he already sees it. Prayer is an invitation by God to step out of the fantasy and into reality to see what he sees. And yes, we will not like what we see sometimes. Oftentimes, our sins, our sinful desires, our lack of desire to even want to talk to God in that moment might be the thing that kicks off our prayers. But we keep coming to him with our burdens, believing that he really does offer us rest. Knowing that he is able to help When we cry, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Honest prayer is confessing what Peter said to Jesus after many walked away from him. Jesus asked the disciples if they're gonna go leave him as well. And Peter says in John chapter six, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And it is this Jesus that unlocks the glories of Psalm 88 for us. 
We can be radically honest before the God of our salvation because Heman cried out to the God of our salvation. And now we see Jesus perfectly prayed Psalm 88 for us and for our salvation. So we need to take a step back and remind ourselves what is the Bible? The Bible is not primarily a manual for good living. It is not primarily a rule book for life. It is primarily the revelation of God in the face of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if the Bible is the revelation of God supremely in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then Christ is the key to the scriptures. They are all about him. This is what he says to the religious leaders, right? You have obviously not read. Because if you did, you would know that they're talking about me. That is no less true in the Psalter. You should have held your place in Psalm 88. We're back. As our Messiah, Jesus is the one pointed to in this song. As our Messiah, Jesus prays all of the Psalms perfectly. He experienced the movements of the Psalter in ways categorically more intense than we could ever imagine. The savior of the world is none other than the suffering servant. The one who reigns from Zion also suffered in Gethsemane. The one who lives in glorified resurrection power, we confess, suffered, was crucified, and died. Who has come to God in prayer in both exceeding anguish and resolute hope like Jesus? Who has had their soul filled with troubles and been prepared for the grave like Jesus? Who's been placed by God into the pit, into the darkness to be overwhelmed by the waves of God's wrath like Jesus? Whose companions shunned him, viewing him as sin itself. Who called out to the Lord with their hands spread out to heaven? Who has felt the forsakenness of God, the hiding of his face, and the afflictions and terrors as the helpless one, like a lamb led to the slaughter? Who was really swept away in the assaults of God's judgment? Who was baptized into the sea of punishment for sin? Brothers and sisters, Jesus has lived the horrors of Psalm 88 for us and for our salvation. The God who hears our cries in the midst of our own suffering knows what it means to suffer. And he conquered it. He took the sin and the shame and the pain and the wrath and the death for us. Heman's sorrows were the shadow. Christ's atonement was the substance. 
But that is the hope of the gospel right there. Now that we know the suffering servant who was crushed by the will of God and raised for our justification, we can approach Heman's questions and cries with answers. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Yes. Because death is not the end. Jesus conquers death and rises from the grave so that when we feel like death is all that is left for us, we might be reminded that is a lie. So where do we go from here? Often, and I'm convinced this is one of the things that Christians hate the most about our faith, if we're honest. That's provocative, isn't it? We hate something about our faith. The Lord often gives us the what of his providential plans, but not the why or the how. He tells us the what, but not the why and not the how. Our faith, Ephesians 2, is a gift of God. We received it. We didn't figure it out. We didn't build it. We didn't write it down. We didn't create it. We received it. We don't stand over it in judgment as some kind of arbiter of truth. With childlike faith, we receive it. So in the throes of our sorrow and sufferings, let us remember what Job learned. All things are for our good, even if they come in the form of disaster, of heartache, of suffering. We know that we receive by faith all sorts of doctrines in our tradition. Who can fully articulate and understand the doctrine of the Trinity? No one. And yet, we rejoice and praise God that This is a mystery of mysteries. His ways are not our ways. His his strength is categorically different. His knowledge is totally different. He is not like us, and yet we praise God because he is not like us. He is high and above. He's exalted and lifted up. Shall we not do the same with the severe mercies of his providence? So we lean into the truth of God's word recognizing that the reality is this life is hard. This life is hard. And it's full of turmoil. And we as the people of God, all of us are both needy and needed. We have great need. We're not meant to be alone. We're meant to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which means we need somebody in need and we need those who can help. (coughs) So the honesty that we are invited to express before God in prayers like Psalm 88 is the same kind of honesty we must practice before one another. If we're to be honest about our struggles and sorrows, it invites others to be the body of Christ. 
to bear our burdens with us. So if you are walking with Jesus in the valley of the shadow of death, let me invite you today to run to him in prayer. And if you have to, crawl to his body all around you so that we might be faithful to practice bearing one another's burdens. And yet some of you in this room are not currently in this season of anguish. You consider your life before the Lord. You don't have any major hardship to endure at the moment. Your family seems pretty good. (coughs) Job's going okay. Kids are doing fine. Kind of moving along. Praise God for his kindness. And let this psalm remind you that suffering is not the rarity in this life. And then look around to see how you might offer in your strength of faith to those who are weak. And finally, there are those of you who hear these things and have never been honest before God. And you've not been honest with yourself, ever. Because you are living in self-deception, thinking that things are okay when they are not. Maybe you think this because you think strong, mature Christians don't struggle. Maybe you think this because you are blinded by your own sin. So I beg you, run to Christ. Pray and beg that the Lord might open your eyes to see the reality of your own soul. And know so that you are without excuse from this day forward. There is no worse fate than to reach the end of a seemingly good life only to be met by the wrath of God that Jesus is offering to take from you right now. So no matter where you are, there is an opportunity to respond to the word of the Lord. And I encourage you with this. Flip with me. I want your eyes on the page. Revelation chapter 21. This is where we're headed. The image that Heman gives us is that he's stranded in the middle of the ocean, drowning, overwhelmed by the breakers of God's wrath, in the darkness, in the turmoil, in the chaos. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. No more sea. No more waves. No more darkness. No more chaos. No more wrath. No more doubt. It's going to pass away. 
And we need to be honest that often it doesn't feel that way. It feels like this is my lot forever. God, help us. Help us to know what's true. Help us to be surrounded by brothers and sisters who can speak the truth to us when it's hard to believe. Who can sit with us like Job's friends in the silence of suffering. Whose presence is a reminder that the God who is silent is still there. Who endured the horrors and abominations and sin so that even though we might stumble through the dark, perhaps until we draw our last breath, the sea will be no more. So as Josh and the praise team come up, there's an opportunity to respond. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We can repent. We can lament. We can rejoice. We can worship. I pray that you would let the Spirit lead you as we respond. Let me pray. Oh God in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you know our frame. You know that we are dust. We thank you that you have given us the confidence of your word to believe that in spite of all that we feel, in spite of all that we experience, in spite of the real suffering and hardship and pain and brokenness and unmet desire and sting of death, these really are light, momentary afflictions that are not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. But when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, it is hard to see the light, so God help us. Help us to know what's true. Help us to cry out to you in honesty. Help us to not live in fantasy, but in reality. To see what you see, even if it means exposing the depths of our heart. When we confess to you our unbelief in the midst of our pain, help us to know that you're not going anywhere. when we expose the ugliness of our sin, remind us that you are the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one who is lost. In all these things we pray that your name might be glorified, that you would teach us to rejoice in our sufferings, help us to be the people of God as we move from darkness to your light. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing.
Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time, or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.